in this week's show, we are talking about conspiracy theories again, but what we're really discussing is the rise of Alex Jones-style um, radio shows and podcasts uh, out in the in the media. And the reason that we started our show, The Mystic and the Skeptic, is because we wanted to uh, debunk some of these conspiracy theories as well as educate people and inform them of rational ways of dealing with reality, with information, and really getting people to expand their horizons uh, and, and not get caught up in the sound bites. Uh, on our show, we have our expert on uh, scientific uh, knowledge and, and inquiry, Brian Dunning. He's been in the show several times to discuss different uh, topics. And um, every time I invite him on the show, he's he's ready to go. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that he believes in what we're doing and that he's uh, available to discuss these issues. So welcome again, uh, Brian, to our show. Hey, thank you. Great to be here, as always. So um, on um, the day was uh, February 6th um, this year, um, I listened to podcasts. Sometimes I listen to the radio. And I often do not call um, the people by their names or criticize uh, people directly, but I have to do it this time because after all the propaganda we've been hearing and all the claims of fake news and stuff like that, now the the battle for truth is, is uh, intensifying because now things that used to be in the fringe and used to be considered... Uh, part of the lunatics uh, mentality. Now they're becoming to the forefront. And what I I find problematic on these conspiracy shows that are in AM radio is that they don't have disclaimers such as this is for entertainment purposes. This is just uh, some type of brainstorming or or um, going with the flow. Um, they'll they usually have guests. And they just let them rant, and the questions always are like leading questions, going back to the same topic. But in this uh, episode that I listened to of Ground Zero with uh, Clyde Lewis, he did a monologue that went on for like an hour, um, talking about all kinds of random things. And then when people called to uh, to deal with the subject, he was uh, feeding into their their fears. And to me, that's the biggest uh, conflict, that not only do they let people rant, they're actually giving them ammo to have more uh, type of bigotry and stereotypes about certain groups. Um, So tell us, uh, Brian, uh, have you been following the whole Alex Jones debacle? And is, is the more that people get censored or sued for spreading uh, slander, do they become more popular or is it, or are people keeping them accountable? Well, I, I'm not aware of anyone being censored for anything. Um, but I, I, I mean, certainly the, the more that they appeal to their base, the more their popularity will continue. Um, you talked about uh, the shows like this, uh, should they run disclaimers that it's not real information, it's just for entertainment? Uh, no, they see it as real entertainment. 
Um, Alex Jones, there's a lot of debate whether people believe that he actually uh, believes what he, what he talks about or whether it's all just an act. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced either way. But f- for the vast majority of, of these people, uh, no, they are uh, they're very much uh, they believe every word that they say and they believe it very passionately. So uh, that 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 the other people who feel the same way are going to seek out confirming information and you know kind of stoke their own belief system. That's that's just the way people work worldwide. Whatever it is that they're passionate about. Well, what happened with Alex Jones? Uh, you know, I only have a surface knowledge of it, but he he's been spouting uh, conspiracy theories regarding the Sandy Hook Elementary uh, shooting, and he uh, he got sued by the the parents of the children who were killed. He was saying that it was a hoax and it was uh, propaganda, whatever. But then uh, he got censored on YouTube. Well, YouTube YouTube's a private company. They they can't censor somebody. That's I mean, censorship is when a government makes it illegal to to say certain things. That's never been the case with Alex Jones or any other conspiracy theorists that I'm aware of. Okay, so so the official uh, definition of censorship is that it has to come from, from higher sources. It's a government making certain types of speech illegal. Yeah, that's that's censorship. It's <clears throat> I mean I mean I got accused of censorship when when I stopped allowing comments on on skeptoid.com because it was just turning into a big graffiti sheet for anti-Semites and, and 9-11 truthers to spread their nonsense. So I said, I don't want my website to be promoting this. So I turned it off. What's well, my website? I, it's completely up to me what I choose to show to people or, or not. Um, I'm not the government. I'm not making their speech illegal. I'm just kicking them off of my website. Those are two unrelated things. YouTube did the same thing. Um, uh, I believe Facebook and Twitter did the same thing as well. Um, and that's, that's also not censorship. That's just people who don't care for what he has to say, deciding to stop giving him a platform. Well, that's interesting because the progressive, um, shows that I listened to like Jimmy Dore, um, who's a comedian, he was like enraged that if they can do that to Alex Jones, then they can do that to other people they don't agree with. But it, it came into their, they had a set of rules. Like, um, there's all kinds of anti-Semitic stuff on YouTube that, that they're never going to get rid of. And they're sure. always going to hide uh, behind uh, free speech. But when it became like ongoing and him becoming rich out of uh, the pain of, of people losing their children, then um, they have like a secret committee that decided to boot him out. And that's what it was enraging. Also, my my other uh, guest on the show that I've had, um, um, the thinking atheist, was was very upset that if they can censor Alex Jones, then they can they can so called censor anyone on these platforms. But it goes back to the community rules. The if there's enough um, complaints, then they have the right to to take them out of this. Uh, these platforms that are very popular. It's like a, like a TV channel that if you have someone um, like, um, what was the name of that uh, commentator on CNN that was always talking bad about immigrants and he got uh, dumped. He's uh, he's now with Fox news, but all he would do is like push uh, similar conspiracy theories as, as the current president that is an invasion and things like that. 
And then after a while, uh, enough companies complained and they took them out. So the marketplace of ideas is, uh, is self-regulating in the sense of uh, why would people be supporting financially or any other way something that is bad for the community? Well, I think you just said it. By, by describing it, the marketplace of ideas is making a decision on what kind of content they want out there. Uh, that's the exact opposite of censorship. Censorship is top down. That's the government saying this type of speech is illegal and, and may not be uh, shown anywhere. Whereas a marketplace of ideas, which I think is a great description, is what the people at large want to be exposed to and, and what advertisers choose to, uh, to choose to support. That's a bottom-up process. So it's the exact opposite of censorship. Now, I, think, I think if you've had some guests on who are describing uh, YouTube booting off Alex Jones as censoring him, then I think those people need to go back and retake high school physics or high, high school civics. Um, they don't seem to understand it very well. Well, I'm glad that, that you are um, sharing this because that's really the problem is that everybody jumps on the bandwagon regarding an issue or another. And um, I was I was sharing with you before the show that I, I never had the the pleasure or the displeasure of, of watching your interview with Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, that's a de definitely a displeasure, but yeah. <laughs> Well, the reason I bring it up, even though it's, it's a, a ludicrous conspiracy theory that, that he was purporting at the time or even still believes in the um, the whole going to the moon hoax, um, is that these a lot of these uh, individuals, they claim that they have a truth that no one else does and that they are fighting uh, misinformation. And in reality, they're the ones spreading misinformation and confusing people with silly conspiracies that that detract from the real issues that we're struggling with in this world. So, uh, what? Why did you decide to to uh, go into his platform and and try to uh, defend your position against what he was saying? So, I, I mean, yeah, a long time ago, and it had been probably I don't know five or six years before I was on his show. Uh, I did an episode of of my podcast Skeptoid uh, that was um, like the top ten uh, anti science celebrities, celebrities who promote harmful pseudoscience, uh, something to that effect. And Joe Rogan was on the list. And the reason I had him on the list was because at that time, and this had been a number of years ago, he was a fairly tireless promoter of quite a few different conspiracy theories. JFK, 9-11, the moon hoax, I mean, you name it, it went on and on. He was, he promoted a lot of conspiracy theories. Now, over those intervening years, uh, the way he describes it is he had changed his mind on quite a few of those, and which I think is fantastic and something to be commendable. So um, we have a lot of the same listeners, Rogan and I, a lot of people listen to both of our shows. And quite a few people had been emailing both of us saying, hey, you should have Brian on. You should have Brian. And finally, uh, he emailed me and said, yeah, a lot of people said I should have you on the show. So, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I think the pro reason they probably had this is because all these years ago, I did, I did this episode where I called you one of the most harmful celebrities promoting pseudoscience. And I think it would be good to talk about that, go through those points See if they're not an, if they're not true anymore, and and um, you know I'll I'll update the episode if 
if necessary. And, and he thought that sounded like a pretty good idea. Um, and so I went on and, uh, unfortunately, as, as you saw, um, it just, it just went from bad to worse. It was three hours of, of, you know, bickering and, and, and circular, uh, repetitive. It was, it was pretty grim. Um, and it was not at all friendly. Um, although, he, although he was very friendly to me personally when, when I was there, um, and they, it, although they did release the, the three hour version um, it, they also released a 24 minute edit of it, um, which has m last I checked, it had more than 10 times uh, as many views, millions of views. And that 24 minute edit was very deceptively edited from the beginning to end, trying to make me sound like a complete idiot and like a complete jerk. Um, and I, I, I think they did that just because they were upset that I went on specifically to challenge him. So, I mean, everything about that was just wrong, and I wish we could have done it again. Uh, I, actually, I probably wouldn't do it again, um, but um, I, was, I was really sad because there, it, it had, he's got such a huge audience um, that it had a lot of potential to do a lot of good because all of his listeners are not conspiracy theorists, but pretty much all the conspiracy theorists out there listen to his show. Uh, and it would have been a great opportunity to reach them. Um, and instead he, he, he pretty much, he, he denied a lot of the things that he'd said in the past, which simply was, was untrue. And he started it off with a, you know, basically a 20 minute presentation to me on why building seven does look like a controlled demolition. And in my mind, that's not, um, trying to illuminate the listeners who are conspiracy theorists. That's making a bad situation worse. And so it, it just, it was a really unfortunate show. Um, I wish we had the chance to do it again, get off on the right foot. I don't even know if that's possible anymore. I don't think so. Um, certainly it's not as long as they've got that deceptively edited version uh, up on YouTube. Um, in fact, that, 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 that um, incident, that, that deceptively edited version was a large part of the inspiration uh, behind the documentary film that uh, my nonprofit, Skeptoid Media, that we're executive producing right now. We're actually in our last week of of uh, filming interviews. Uh, we're going around around uh, three countries, I think, and interviewing scientists who have been on these TV shows and been deceptively edited or misquoted or edited out of context, trying to by TV producers trying to make a, you know, something like ancient aliens, something that's about uh, very bad science. Um, and it harms, harms the reputation of the shows. It harms the reputation of the scientists. And it's a terrifying documentary that we're making. And, you know, at least I have Rogan to thank for that, for <laughs> giving me the, uh, giving me the motivation to get off my butt and do something about this practice of deceptive editing, because it's, it's, a uh, pretty harmful to the public intellect. And I, I think I just gave you a really, really long answer to a short question. Well, it's related to what we're talking about because um, you mentioned earlier that people who do this actually believe what they're saying. And the more that, um, that I'm looking into the political reasons behind the current administration, um, you know, our, our show uh, goes out internationally as well. And, uh, you know, I won't call the person by his name, uh, but the the reason it turns out that 
he doesn't really believe uh, half of the stuff that he's saying that is very destructive and and detrimental and, and bigoted about certain groups of people. It's all for political points and, and looking good in front of uh, his base. So um, I, I see someone like Joe Rogan or some of these other uh, commentators or hosts as kind of... It's like, didn't they say that Barnum and Bailey, the the original um, founder of the circus, like he he would do or say anything to get people in the door? Yeah, P.T. Barnum. Yeah. And and I understand what you're saying, that there's uh, there are going to be some of these uh, hosts, other personalities who are, you know, deliberately uh, trying to appeal to a certain crowd and they're, you know, saying whatever they know that crowd wants to hear. Um, but you know, I've been doing this for a long time and my, my experience is that those people are, are in the minority. Um, the, the majority of them are very passionate believers in my experience. Cause we had another, um, guest on our show that mentioned being on the ancient aliens, um, um, show and completely, uh, edited and misrepresented his position, but, um, having a media production background, um, you know, you have to make uh, creative decisions to make something more exciting. And of course, uh, one reason that I left the the commercial media was because they were exploitative. That anything that that mm-hmm. they came across, they would uh, manipulate for ratings. And mm-hmm. and it just seemed like there is no um, checks and balances regarding that. Especially when you're talking about ridiculous stuff like aliens or things like that, where you can pretty much do anything you want with the information, and you even they even have people sign a release that that, that there's going to be creative license. So, um, what what are the the scientists responding um, in the sense of like you mentioned that the the shows that interview them lose credibility if they do that, but it seems like nowadays. Very few people care about um, correct statements or checking the sources. It seems like every network has some type of spin and some type of uh, deception going on with the experts they bring on or the type of topics that they focus on. There's really very few sources where you can actually trust that they're giving you a fair shake of of the issues. Yeah, I I, I think you said it very well. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I, it's, it, it is true that audiences, uh, will respond better to very sensational programming. And it's that simple fact that drives all of the decisions when they're making their programming decisions. Um, however, and one of the points that we make in, in the film is it's not necessary to make stuff up or take creative license as you use that's the easy, lazy, and quite frankly, the unethical way to do it. Um, I've, I've been doing my podcast for 12 years now, dealing with all of the urban legends, you know, anything anyone's ever heard of. I've done an episode of it on the show. And I find an absolutely fascinating solution in the true solution to the mystery, finding out what really happened, what is really going on at Oak Island instead of the nuts nonsense that they that they put on the tv show 
Now, that takes a lot of hard work and research to come up with that angle. And it also takes an understanding of things like sociology to find out how and why people prefer to believe this sort of easy, sensationalized version of the show. And what what is it that we can give them that's even better than that, that's even more sensational and that's true and that teaches them an interesting lesson in how we know what we know. Now, that takes a lot more work. And too often these producers and directors just aren't interested in going to any extra work when they can just say, hey, aliens built the pyramids. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the reality. And um, it's, it's harmful because we have a generation of people growing up believing just ridiculous nonsense because they heard it on the, the History Channel or the Science Channel or Nat Geo or the Travel Channel or Discovery Channel. And these are networks that bill themselves as promoting science programming. Um, I remember one time when the, the History Channel was very publicly caught in a very flagrant uh, screw-up. They sent out a tweet that saying, you know, accuracy of historical information is of primary importance to me. And, you know, we'll, we'll investigate this fully, how this happened. And, of course, that's the last anyone ever heard of it. That's, it's simply that they need to do better. They need to stop misquoting and badly editing reputable scientists to try and make it sound like they support the idea of aliens building the pyramids. And they just simply need to sit down and do some work, find out what is the valuable lesson to be learned in this story and how can we tell that story in a fascinating way that gets viewers interested. That requires creativity and, and thought and too many people are not are not willing to put in that work. Well, and, and I've always uh, been um, proposing in our show that ideas have consequences. So when uh, Clyde Lewis in this um, February 6th uh, show is saying that there's an invasion not only coming from the South, there's an invasion coming from the North, and that involves China and Muslims, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I'm like... How can someone get away with saying something so outrageous and flat out condemn uh, millions of people and then move on to the next subject? They can get away with it because there's 50% of the nation that wants to hear that. And, you know, it's – and I, I don't want to sound like uh, one side is right and the other side is wrong because that's not the case at all. One thing that's very clear – from research into conspiracy theories is that there is no one demographic that's more or less susceptible to belief in them. And people on the far left are every bit as eager to believe in implausible conspiracy theories as people on the far right. So it just, whichever one we happen to be talking about that shows up in the news, you know, then that's the one we're going to say, boy, those people are nuts. Why would they believe something that silly? So I'm, I'm, I'm not taking partisan sides here. In fact, that's, that's the most important point is that there are no partisan sides to conspiratorial thinking. Well, I contacted you because a friend of mine got into it with family members about the USS Liberty. And um, I hadn't done any research on it, but I knew that it was a, a, a point of contention coming from certain type of people. And then it ended up being true. Like once I started doing research, 
but it was disappointing that someone who's known as a consumer advocate and intellectual such as Ralph Nader was pushing that type of uh, conspiracy that the U.S. Liberty was was bombed on purpose and that there's a conspiracy with Israelis, Jewish Americans, and uh, John McCain, out of all people, to hide the truth. And it's like, why does he even have to go there when there's so many other issues that he's brought up regarding uh, safety, regarding um, the politics being corrupt and stuff like that? So it's funny that that um, that you find out that people who who are heroic in some ways are conspiratorial in others. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's a really important lesson to learn. Um, and something that I've said from time to time is that we are all conspiracy theorists because <laughs> there is something that I believe, there is something that you believe that someone who's the polar opposite of, of, of us is going to say that's not true and they thoroughly believe that it's not true and um, and they may be right. The first step to being intellectually honest is acknowledging that you believe some things that are wrong. I don't know what they are, but I know I believe some of the things I believe are wrong. I would love to know what they are so that I could correct them, but I don't. And as long as I do, there is something that I could that I could talk about that someone else is going to consider that to be a conspiracy theory and that I'm a nut, nutty conspiracy theorist. So I, I, I think it's essential that everyone first acknowledge that fact before you can have an honest conversation about conspiratorial thinking. You mentioned belief and um you know, I pride myself, uh, just as you, as, as having a, a skeptic uh, aspect to to our minds. And then, you know, I, I was thinking that before I called you regarding, you know, people usually say, oh, well, religion is a matter of faith and science is a matter of fact or whatever. And, and I'm like, well, actually, the supernatural is something that it's outside of science because it cannot be proven, but not everything that can be proven is reality or something like that. So um, this idea of believing things, um, human beings believe things because it touches their, their heart or their soul. But in, in a modern world, uh, belief is not enough. Like we need to challenge ourselves to find out um, the facts and the quest for truth has always been within the human um, desire to to grow. So, mm-hmm. so when you mentioned belief, it it, it, it was strange coming from you because um, isn't the whole point of being a skeptic that you don't accept something until you you look at the sources and try to discern the truth behind it? Okay, I, I mean yes, but. Also, I haven't gone to seek out uh, peer-reviewed literature to see if there's actually 10 books over on my shelf over there. I look and I see there's 10 books, and I believe that there's 10 books. I might be wrong because there might be an 11th one hidden behind them. I mean, there's a certain amount of things in your daily life that you can't – you have to just accept. You wouldn't be able to get through your day if you had to sit and double-check every single thing, um, you know, is – if I'm walking down the sidewalk, do I have to worry that the next square in the cement is a hologram and I'm going to fall through it? No, that's silly. So there's plenty of things that we just have to accept on faith in order to get through your day. I mean, there's, there's, the, there's the philosophy of skepticism, and then there's the practicality of living a life as a person in the world, and they're not always compatible. 
So when do people fall off the deep end? Like uh, we talked about in the past about how education is a component of it or um, lack of exposure to different ideas. But how, like, is it some type of mania or some type of like mental illness to, to start creating a world full of conspiracies? Or is it just based on uh, deep held beliefs that you're looking, like you mentioned earlier, for information that is going to validate what you already, the conclusion you already made? Well, there, I, I, there is certainly a point at which a conspiracy theory becomes um, a, a treatable medical condition. And I should point out that I am not a trained psychiatrist or psychologist. Uh, and I'm speaking from the perspective of general science knowledge as a science writer, not from uh, professional medical advice. Uh, but generally, what you will hear from um, psychiatric professionals is the point at which uh, any type of behavior, whether it's a behavior, a belief, a, a, an activity, when it becomes something that is diagnosable and treatable, is when that person starts stops being able to integrate it with a normal healthy life like if i am a 9-11 truther to the point that i drive all my friends away i drive my wife away i get fired from my job that's a point where i now have a diagnosable condition and i should probably be in some kind of a treatment now that's not the case with most conspiracy theorists you might be having a conversation with someone you've worked with for five years and then suddenly discover that he believes that Queen Elizabeth is a reptilian alien. This is someone who has strange beliefs, but who is able to integrate that into a normal, healthy life. So that's not someone we would say, you know, has a, has a, has a psychiatric condition. And I think that there's, that's something that you and I, we both fit into that same category with that same person. He is wrong that Queen Elizabeth is not a reptilian alien, but I also said before that there's things you and I both believe to be true that are wrong. We don't know what they are, but they're something. Okay, well, let's look at, at, at the topic. Uh, so uh, the show is called The Garden Plot Beating Black Helicopter Blues. And if you and I saw um, some military-grade helicopters uh, flying in our city, um, would we start tying loose ends and creating a, a huge conspiracy or would you say, Oh, well the military is doing some exercise in downtown Houston or LA or whatever in this show, he started going off on like that. They saw that. And then they started talking about martial law. And then they started talking about, um, people, uh, starting a race war and the government, uh, and FEMA putting people in camps. And it just went on and on and on about all these different, uh, ideas and putting them all together. Isn't that where it's kind of loony to to assume all these things just based on one event that you that you witness? Okay, well, when you say loony, are you talking about the same thing I was just talking about? Well, you're saying that we all have um, you know crazy ideas, or we all believe things that cannot be proven. But when someone makes uh, these theories or these assumptions based on one thing they saw, isn't that like where it goes off the deep end where you start connecting all kinds of things and, and it is some type of paranoia? It, it, like I say, it depends, it depends on the degree to which this person is affected by it. 
Um, you can be completely, completely delusional to the point that you need psychiatric treatment over a fact that's perfectly true. Like I, the example I just made up a minute ago about there being 10 books on my shelf. Let's say I went into work the next day and grabbed everyone I saw and said, 10 books, there are 10 books on my shelf. And I just went rabbit, rabbit about it. And I ended up getting fired and lost my wife, lost my house because I was so obsessed with the 10 books. It's perfectly true that there's 10 books on the shelf. The thing is, it's just a fact that I was not able to integrate into a healthy life and my behavior is what needed to be treated. So when we talk about the person you're talking about who sees the helicopters and then creates a whole, a whole fantasy world around that, or maybe it's a reality, I don't know. Um, we're not talking about whether the belief is, is true or not. We're not talking about whether the belief is extreme or not. We're talking about a person and their behavior and their ability to lead a normal, healthy life. Well, but it goes back to profiting off of conspiracies. And so now you start a show and then every single uh, crazy idea you hear, you tie it together, you sensationalize it, you entertain people with it, and then you leave people hanging with all these bad ideas. And that's the Alex Jones factor that, that that's what the show is going to be called. That um, there was a point when Alex Jones was seen as a uh, hero of the people. Uh, there was an article on Texas Monthly where they were um, challenging um, an Austin director who had him in both of his movies as uh, the man of the street who's uh, bringing truth to power and and trying to challenge uh, the norms. And now, um, 10, 20 years later, uh, he's persona non grata. So in, in the eyes of progressives uh, at that time, Alex Jones was actually speaking their truth. And now that he has attacked uh, some of the people that they support or some of their political ideas, now he's the bad guy. So it's funny how people are willing to switch sides real quick based on what's going on in the community and what's considered, um, you know, destructive. And again, as the community um, rules change based on the time period. Yeah, well, uh, belief is a is a very powerful thing. Um, you, you know, when, when you say that uh, there was a time at which Alex Jones was considered a hero of the person, a hero of the people. Um, I would I would say that well there are always have been people who consider him a hero of the people and maybe that was a very few people at one time and Mary maybe it was more people at another time and maybe it's fewer again now that he's got a smaller audience and fewer people know about him um but uh I I I don't think anyone has ever tuned into Alex Jones uh with an open mind interested to hear what he has to say I think the only people who go to any really, really extreme source like that are people who are looking to have their existing beliefs confirmed. Um, from my experience, that's certainly the, the vast majority of Alex Jones's support base. So, um, you know, I was um, thinking regarding um, the, the power of propaganda and the, how easily it is to manipulate people. So um, when when some radical um, provocateur is going around uh, um, scapegoating certain groups or spreading falsehoods about uh, individuals, 
the majority of the population just sits back and kind of sees what happens. And then there's there's certain people who support that individual and some people who oppose them. But it seems that it's really easy for, for a dictator or someone who has that type of um, charisma or like negative charisma to be able to influence a lot of people because of the passivity and the lack of uh, involvement from people who might not agree with that. Um, what what are your solutions for a situation like that? Because it's just it's kind of scary to see how easy it is for people to to uh, end up agreeing with someone who at first they thought was really out there, and then with time they're like, well, he does have a good point about the amount of of uh, jobs being stolen or the amount of uh, crime or like if someone tells a lie long enough people start believing it um, what should we do as as a community to um, to keep people from from falling into those traps and that's a that's a that's a great question um, I mean you know the the most successful um, what's what's the best word to use uh, I, I don't, dictator is not the right word, but the people you're talking about who have, who have this broad sweeping appeal, uh, and clearly we would consider Trump to be one of those people right now. Um, uh, the most successful of those people are not ones who go out and make sense and change people's minds and offer interesting ideas and sway people to their point of view. The most successful are the ones who appeal to a pre-existing belief, a pre-existing current in society. Um, it's it's been observed many times that Trump is not the cause of America's problems; he's the symptom of problems that pre-existed. Uh, there's been this rising global wave of populism um, has been rising 15, 20 years worldwide now. And really only in the last few years has it really taken off with uh, some very severely dictatorial personalities being elected in quite a few countries. Uh, and, you know, Brazil just elected who they're calling Tropical Trump, who's apparently far, far worse. Um, so these people who are rising to power now are not changing anyone's mind or swaying them over to the benefits of populism. They're appealing to existing populist ideals uh, that are just running through through society as undercurrents. Um, how do you get that to stop? That's a much more complex problem and a much larger problem than why do we have such extremes in the political system these days? Um, we have to look at why do we have those extremes? What were these undercurrents in society and how can we how can we guide people away from these extreme perspectives? Um, I, I I wish I had the the magical answer to that, but but I don't. Well, you mentioned like the, uh, that's a term populist that I don't think about much. But the definition of populist online is a person, especially a politician, who strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny that. The Republican Party is really good at portraying the Democrats as elite when they themselves are elite and they usually, just like the Democrats, are bought and paid for by corporations uh, in financial interest. 
So it's interesting that they're able to to spin the situation into a populist one. And the other ones who often are a little more populist in the sense of they're worried about uh, providing um, resources for the, the poor and the needy and disenfranchised people, they are not able to capitalize on that um, that frustration as well. And when when I lived in the in the hippie uh, community in in uh, Tennessee, I saw how progressives are usually more splintered and more there's more infighting among them than there is among conservatives because conservatives are like one track. Everybody agrees the traditional norms are the way to go, and that's it. And with progressives, you have multiple. Uh, ideas and approaches and ways to deal with problems where it really feels that the Democrats are, are going to lose again because they, they're oversaturating um, this nation with candidates with different approaches when the, the Republicans have one way to deal with things. And throughout the years, they've been saying that the way that the Republicans are going to be able to appeal to the masses is if they become more progressive, if they are more interested in including minorities and reaching out to Hispanics and being more open-minded and, and they never do it because it doesn't work. The only thing that works is to pin people against each other and to make the, the people who are poor look at the elites as the problem and to portray themselves as saviors and stuff like that. And uh, so it's, so it's, it's very frustrating to see, how again? How easily people are manipulated politically? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's if 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 someone like uh, if someone like like uh, a Trump or a David Duke or someone like that who represents these extreme perspectives, if they had run against Ronald Reagan, for example, I'm not sure that they would have won in that environment. Uh, that was that was an era. In, uh, the vast majority of of United States history has been an era where there was not nearly so much difference between the two major political parties when they were, they both had fairly moderate candidates and, you know, we're clearly the farthest thing from that. Now, I think the thing that's going to get us out of that cycle is when one party or the other is going to nominate a more moderate candidate. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Clearly, the uh, the Republicans are going to nominate Trump again, and clearly the Democrats are going to nominate the most far out liberal, someone like Bernie Sanders or um, AOC or Elizabeth Warren, someone who is very far to the left. Uh, so we, this division could not be farther apart. So clearly, neither of those parties is going to attract a single vote from the other side. But eventually, one party will run a candidate who can attract a few votes from the other side. And that's when I think we'll be on the way to narrowing this rift uh, that cuts the country in half. But, uh, you know, you, you find out from, uh, from history that the best way to polarize people is to demonize your opponent, to portray them as like the plague and the worst thing that could yeah. happen. And, and it's effective. It's very effective. I mean, that's, that's how, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, do an example of Godwin's law, but that's how Hitler got World War II started. That's what Trump is doing with Mexicans right now, uh, and it's it's yeah, it's just popular. 
that's what uh, the tropical Trump down in Brazil is doing with atheists. Um, he's trying to make that a, a very strict uh, Christian theocracy. It's a very scary situation down in Brazil. And Duterte in the Philippines is doing it with drug addicts and drug dealers? Yeah, it goes on and on. Like I said, there is a worldwide wave of populism right now. And I think the U.S. Is, remains one of the most, if not the most influential nation. And I think the U.S. electing a more moderate candidate, which may take another two or three election cycles, uh, I think that's what's going to finally signal the, uh, not the end of this wave, but the... <laughs> When the when when the waveform starts to reduce before it inevitably comes back up in the future sometime. But you know, since Greek times, when when politics were were invented, um, the um, the whole point has always been to win, and whatever it takes to win. My my concern is that um, once they win, they instead of uh, not keeping the promises of being bigoted and 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 judgmental of, of other groups. Now they're keeping the campaign promises and, and that's what's creating the problem because if you can dupe someone to vote for you because you have extreme views, that's one thing, but to try to keep them happy, you, you start doing extreme things that are uh, irrational and destructive uh, for the whole uh, community in the world. Then that's when, when things get really bad. But going back to uh, these radio shows that are, are supporting very radical ideas and are popularizing the lunatic fringe, um, it seems that for them, uh, truth is malleable. And that when it's all said and done, it's the same thing. It's about winning. If you can get more ratings because you're talking bad about uh, immigrants or you're hating on African-Americans or like that is the ultimate goal. Like it's, it goes back to being unethical. Like they're not worried about the repercussions of what they're saying. They're not worried about how it will impact people. They're worried about being the number one show and getting all the, the advertising money and all the support. So, um, well, that's just business. I mean, that's, that, that's what, that's what every show's goal is, you know, yours and mine included. We would love to, we would love to be the number one national podcast, wouldn't we? We would love to, but you know, I'm doing it for free, and my my goal is um, when it's all said and done, that um, more people can can uh, can come together. And uh, I was telling somebody uh, we had a show about the the current state of affairs regarding uh, Latin America and the way that Latin Americans are, are portrayed and and looked at in, in the U.S. And what I was saying regarding America is that you can't have a democracy and um, a type of um, what's what's the um, economic system that we have, the capitalist? Yeah. You can't be capitalist and democratic at the same time. And the reason I say that is because capitalism is all about money. And democracy is supposed to be about equal rights and equal vote and stuff like that. So unless you have inequality, you can't have capitalism because money is the only thing that matters. And if you use that type of uh, mentality, kind of like there are a lot of conservatives that push for little government and only um, marketplace and, and capitalism to be the main uh, philosophy of the U.S., 
then you do end up with a lot of um, destructive things that are not helpful for the, the society. If money is the only thing that matters, then slavery would come back and prostitution would be rampant and abuse of all kinds. But the whole point of having a, a democratic government that is just is that you can keep checks and balances on this obsession with money. So how is it that nowadays these programs can be focused on money and be willing to throw anybody under the bus to get ratings and that they're not being um, checked and and held accountable uh, by the government? Like, I know you're talk we were talking about censorship when we started, but shouldn't there be some guidelines? Like, you cannot spread hatred and... and um, and and be it, like I know that there's different degrees, but it seems like free speech has gone um, amok where people can pretty much um, like I feel that Trump has has validated a lot of these racist and misogynistic ideas, and now it's just part of the culture, and and it's going to be hard to to go yeah. back to some type of what he did. He he gave license to undercurrents of uh, of racism sexism etc cetera, etc cetera, that were pre-existing in culture uh people who had been suppressing it due to uh, what they see as the oppressive political correctness of the left during the obama years that it all just kind of boiled to the surface um and and trump clearly gives license to free free expression of of ideas that are very counter to what the progressives would would be in favor of clearly i mean the, the, the reason we have the first amendment is not to protect friendly speech that doesn't bother anyone that doesn't need a constitutional amendment to protect it the reason we have the first amendment is to protect speech specifically that there are people going to be screaming about saying that should be illegal that's why we need a constitutional amendment to protect it if there weren't people screaming about it saying that kind of talk should be illegal, then we wouldn't have we would have no need for the for the First Amendment. That's th that's why these these shows that we're talking about are, have the freedom of speech to say anything they want. And that's why it would be silly for me to say it should be illegal for them to edit me badly and make it look like I think ancient aliens built the pyramids. I'm being silly if I say that. Right. But. You know, I, I'm the first one to criticize the, the progressives regarding political correctness because they put themselves in a box. Like now there's fear to say anything that is offensive and then it becomes like the thought police. But on the other hand, um, there's an extremist, like it's like the difference between liberty and being a libertine. Like I love the freedom that we have in America and part of my challenge to Latin America is that there is no freedom of speech in in most Latin American countries. You'll get shot, you get thrown in jail. There'll be repercussions for for talking against the government or the corrupt yeah. leaders or, or whatever. Much of the world, yeah, much of the world. So so free speech is wonderful, but there is spe speech that is uh, problematic. And I don't know if you're familiar, and I remember in my ethics class in communication, they talked about it. I don't know what the resolution was, but this idea that Nazis want to march in a Jewish neighborhood, 
that that's uh, protected speech and this and that. And it's like, that's just cruel and, and hateful. And and the people who were willing to, to let the Nazis do that, they didn't care about the Jews that were being uh, re-traumatized by having those those people march. So I know that there's limits to free speech, such as not yelling fire in a crowded space. But where, when does it become... Um, a problem for society like when can people intervene and say okay that's enough like um spouting hatred is not um is not going to be uh tolerated anymore well when we decide to when we decide to get rid of the first amendment is the simple answer to that question you know it's it, 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 if you're looking for a perfect solution um, the, the problem with that is that everyone's idea of what the perfect solution should be is different and it's specific to them. Um, look at what, uh, take a, take a Klansman's idea of a perfect solution. Uh, that's going to be very different from what your idea of a perfect solution is. And so I think that the way, the way we have it now with the first amendment protecting freedom of speech, simple as that, um, that's about as close as we can get to at least a fair system, but it's a system that's always going to be offensive to some people. Um, the, the, the example you raise of, you know, should, should the Nazis march through the Jewish neighborhood? I mean, that's, that's a, that's a classic example. And that's the kind of thing that, that ethicists and, and legal analysts have always debated and will continue to debate because obviously that's a very complicated question. Um, and, you know, sometimes we have had cases where uh, we put statutes in place that that provide exceptions, uh, and 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 even doing that is always problematic. So, you know, it's just it's just a a complicated solution. It's it's been observed many times that the United States is 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 a, a fascinating experiment in the history of the world, and we still don't know how it's going to turn out. And um, <laughs> we're seeing it happen today. Well, I don't mean to preach, but I feel like I answer my own question in the sense of the reason that that evil is being tolerated is because there's good people won't stand up against it. And I know it, it sounds theological and it sounds uh, in connection with the historical stuff that happened during the Nazis, but there's a sense of, of culture has, has become corrupt and, and people are not... Um, willing to stand up for for what they believe to be right, and I know we can say, well, different people believe different things to be right, but one of the reasons that I live in the U.S. out of anywhere else that I can move to is because I believe that people are good. I believe that people have morals. I believe that there's an overall sense of justice and and pursuit of truth and and caring for your neighbor that might not be available in other places, and there's a rule of law. So with those ideals, uh, that I feel that we're failing at upholding those ideals, and we're failing at teaching the next generation to have the ability to uh, discern um, you know, correct information from, from falsehood, as well as um, teaching them to, to be respectful of others and to give people benefit of the doubt and to think the best of, of their neighbors. That, those are the, 
is is that part of civics or is that part of morality that we should be encouraging in in our communities? Wow, <laughs> that's a uh, it. I, I I'm not even sure I know how to answer that. Because um, if we're just going to be scientific, then we go back to Freud and and uh, and Darwin, where it's just the law of the fittest, and if if their truth is their truth and our truth is our truth, and we might be able to philosophize things, but when it's all said and done, whoever's in power calls the shots, and everybody else is just surviving. Well, when you when you when you when you're asking how do how do we how do we raise people that won't be susceptible to these kind of issues? I mean, is that what you're asking? I I don't think I don't think necessarily I don't think you can first of all, and I I'm not sure that I think you should even try. Um, I think what you're asking is how can we breed people who are not susceptible to the follies of being a human being? Um, I think too much of what we've talked about is, is, is human nature that's always existed and will always exist. Um, and I think, I, I, I think we, that's why we see, that's why we see different systems in different countries. Like you talk about other countries in the world where, you know, journalists are thrown in prison um, and uh, journalists are executed in some cases. And here in the United States, that doesn't happen. But instead, we have uh, race wars because everyone is out there uh, being able being allowed to say whatever they want. So we've got two kind of different extremes. The reason those extremes exist is because we have exactly the same type of human beings in both places, playing under two different sets of rules. I just don't think you can change human nature. I think you can try and change rules that everyone has to play by, but I don't think you can or even should try to change human nature. But is there a way to discern, you know, positive uh, attitudes and, and, and values that, that help society? Or is it just all up for grabs? Because the the point of my little sermon was uh, there's certain values that this this country is founded upon, and they have been uh, reworked to make them more accessible to everyone. Uh, and to you know, it, things change with time, so all men are created equal. It meant like with the Greeks, it was all rich men of a certain type of of background, right. <laughs> and then now everybody can claim it for themselves, but that, that wasn't the original intent. So where, where are we at in, in the, in that, are we living up to those standards in this country or are we um, deteriorating to the point of none of those things matter? It's all money based and influence based because I feel like, you know, I ran away from Mexico because it was corrupt because the media was on uh, in bed with the government because you couldn't uh, there was no mobility or no ability to to uh, be successful because it was monopoly from from the, the the rich people and and their system and here um, completely different and now I feel like it's the, the American dream is demoting into some type of um, almost like banana republic uh, they, that I experienced back home and and it's, and it's sad and it's and it's very discouraging so um, 
or has it always been like that and it's just been a facade that there was all these uh american dreams of of progressing into a better future and providing more rights and more opportunities for the people 